You're listening to Wiley Connected, a series of podcasts on tech, law, and policy. In each podcast, technology-focused lawyers at Wiley, a Washington, D.C. law firm, break down innovation and law with a uniquely D.C. perspective. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our conversation on digital trade. This is a key topic for businesses of almost every type and for many other stakeholders. Uh, as the national and international economies continue to digitize and businesses increasingly rely on data transfers to make that happen. I'm Tim Brightbill, a partner in the International Trade Group here at Wiley Rhine. I'm also an adjunct professor at Georgetown University Law Center, and I am vice chair of Industry Trade Advisory Committee on Services, where we talk a lot about digital trade. Uh, Jackie, over to you. I'm Jacqueline, or Jackie Ruff, and I am in the Telecommunications, Media, and Technology Group, where I focus on international issues. I've had a long history working on trade issues, following and engaging in it. I was in private practice at the Federal Communications Commission International Bureau and in-house at a large company where I was also on one of those trade advisory committees that Tim was just referring to. So Jackie, let's start with the most important question of all. What is digital trade anyway, and why should we care? I think at the heart of it, digital trade is really about data flowing across borders. Hopefully flowing seamlessly and easily with effective security and privacy protections, of course. The strength of the U.S. economy is deeply affected by whether services and goods produced here can be sold, supported, and managed in other markets through digital means. This is why the U.S. has advocated for strong trade rules regarding data and telecommunications since back in the 90s with the original negotiation of the GATS trade agreement. And one thing we know is that the global digital economy is growing. According to the World Bank, the digital economy is equal to more than 15% of global gross domestic product and is actually growing two and a half times faster than global GDP over the last 15 years. There are other estimates, for example, a Congressional Research Service report says that the digital economy accounted for about 10% of U.S. gross domestic product just a couple of years ago. So it's a huge sector of the economy and growing, for sure. So how does this issue then, and this huge dynamic in the sector, how does that translate into current hot topics today for U.S. businesses? And who's making the rules? Can you talk about that, Tim? Sure. Well, the rules are really just starting to come together. And one of the entities that has worked on this issue for some time is the World Trade Organization, which, of course, began as the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade shortly after World War II, became the World Trade Organization in 1994, is a body both for negotiations and dispute settlement. So the WTO has for some time had an important moratorium on customs duties on electronic transmissions. 
So in other words, WTO members have agreed since 1998 not to impose customs duties on electronic transactions. And that moratorium has been extended repeatedly by WTO ministerial meetings. While the next ministerial meeting is upcoming, June 12th to the 15th in Geneva, it is the first ministerial for the new WTO Director General. It's a very high-profile event. There will be other extremely important negotiations and agreements that can hopefully be hammered out on everything from a waiver of intellectual property requirements for COVID vaccines, as well as a major agreement on fishery subsidies. But this moratorium on customs duties on electronic transmissions will hopefully be extended again at the WTO ministerial. Now, there are a couple of countries, most notably India and South Africa, that have expressed their opposition to renewal of that moratorium. But they haven't come forward to any extent in terms of saying what they want in exchange. So this will be a very important area to watch is whether or not this moratorium on customs duties can be renewed at the WTO ministerial later in June. Uh, Jackie, another related issue is whether countries can tax digital transactions. Uh, where does that issue stand today? So the common denominator here is if there were not to be renewal of the moratorium on customs duties, there would be greater costs for the digital economy. Similarly, there is a global trend of an attempt to impose taxes on digital services, which would be a problem on the cost side once again. Many countries have been coming up with those proposals, some in Europe and some in the rest of the world, and really, the solution, the alternative, would be to succeed in completing a global tax agreement that the OECD Organization on Economic Cooperation and Development has been working on it for years, but it would be the perfect solution here, and the U.S. government's been supporting that very strongly. And, of course, the United States has been the target of some of those proposals by countries to tax digital transactions, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, this is a trend we see in trade. We also see it in other parts of international public policy developments. And I, I do a lot of work in that area, to be sure. So but back to the WTO and back to the digital economy writ larger, if the entire WTO cannot agree on the rules. What about a smaller group of members? Sure. This has been a trend because the WTO is a consensus-driven organization. It means that decisions are only made if all 164 members can agree to move forward, which is extremely difficult to do. However, in some areas, such as services negotiations, plurilateral agreements are possible. So, whereas the WTO negotiation process has been very slow to non-existent in recent years. There have been negotiations of plurilateral agreements, and one of the most important of those is the JSI, or Joint Statement Initiative, on e-commerce. And this was announced in January of 2019. 
It has about 86 members, led by co-conveners Australia, Japan, and Singapore. And these countries have been negotiating ways of liberalizing digital trade and eliminating trade barriers and standardizing e-commerce approaches. And there are goals to complete some of these negotiations or at least report on progress at the ministerial and then try to complete those negotiations this summer. So these are wide-ranging talks, a number of countries involved, countries including the United States, the European Union countries, and China, all of which have vastly different visions of what the rules of e-commerce and digital trade should look like. So we just, well, we'll look for the customs moratorium issue at the ministerial. We'll also see if there is a status report on the JSI discussions at the ministerial meeting. The rules of digital trade are also being made at the bilateral and regional level. So, Jackie, what are some examples of this today? Sure. We're in a very interesting period because there are some new models that are emerging. Now, it's always been important to have uh, actual traditional trade agreements, bilateral, regional, etc. Some of the digital provisions that we see and still uh, commend today were first negotiated in, for example, bilateral discussions years ago between the U.S. and Singapore. Today, what we see are attempts to use other models and other frameworks that look for the same types of outcomes, but without the same formalities. A very important one now is the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, or IPEF. And in this one, which the U.S. has launched, it allows for combinations of commitments that might differ among countries, because some countries are able to go further on their commitments, including in the digital area, than others can. But progress can be made. It just might be made in, to different extents. It is clear that digital economy issues are a priority in this, in this initiative, as was shown when, in March, there was a Federal Register request for input. There was a list of issues, and digital economy was on there. The structure of this framework is evolving, and some have called for an actual standalone digital trade component. And so it's unclear what will happen, but in any event, it is clear that the topic will arise under a piece that USTR has that's called the Fair and Resilient Trade Pillar, and then also to be included in the activities of the Department of Commerce, they have a wide range of engagements where we're likely to see digital issues included. Now, it is interesting to look at the region as a whole, the Asia-Pacific region, because there are numerous existing agreements and many of which do not actually include the U.S. They just might be small or regional, or they might be the Trans-Pacific Partnership that is an agreement that the U.S. did not go forward on. But because of that, interesting questions of strategy 
arise. And I think there are also interesting prospects arise because there has been some level of work around digital issues already. One important issue, just finally, Tim, as I'm thinking about the region, is that the APEC, Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation, their regime on privacy is really very good and in a way is a counterweight or a different way of dealing with issues, a counterweight, I say, to the European approach with the General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR. The APEC version looks more at accepting the fact that the privacy regimes may not be identical, but they could be equally valid and equally comparable, and they could therefore be interoperable with each other, and it creates a way, a mechanism to do that. The U.S. participates in that, as do other economies, eight other economies, and they are becoming more active, right, creating a forum. And so if you look at it, you just see a, a tremendous amount of work on data trade, digital trade, and some interesting variations on how to make progress. It was very interesting and will factor into IPEF, I think, where various countries will choose which areas they want to liberalize trade in, so they will opt in or opt out of the various pillars, as you mentioned, should be very significant going forward. So there are other regional examples. Tim, would you like to talk about the one that is in our neighborhood? Well, sure. I think the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement is the clearest example perhaps the gold standard of rules on digital trade that has been most recently negotiated. So for companies and industries that are interested in knowing what the emerging rules of digital trade are or are likely to be, for example, in IPIF or in some of these other forums, I think USMCA is the place to look, or at least the starting place. It's not to say you can't build on or modify those provisions but the U.S.-Mexico-Canada provisions are a solid start for what the digital trade rules should be, at least in the view of the United States. And then another initiative that we're watching very closely is the U.S.-European Union Trade and Technology Council. And these are efforts by the Biden administration to advance trade negotiations and eliminate trade barriers without doing a full free trade agreement because the administration does not have the authority under trade promotion authority to negotiate a full trade agreement with market access provisions and tariff lowering. So instead, the administration is being creative, looking for ways to eliminate trade barriers without having a full-fledged free trade agreement. So I think IPIF is one example, and this U.S.-European Union Trade and Technology Council is another example. And Jackie, as you mentioned, it's very interesting since the European Union's vision for the rules of digital trade is very privacy-focused, whereas the United States has a more open, business-friendly approach, generally speaking, to the rules of digital trade. Uh, Jackie, what are some of the current themes and bigger picture questions that you see for digital trade going forward? Well, I think you just talked about one that's very important, and that is, what is the role of, I call it sometimes a GDPR conundrum, right? How do we 
work, try to make progress, and not be stalled, as has happened in some agreements, by the European insistence on a certain view toward privacy. Maybe, I'm hoping, that, as you say, these different venues can be helpful in that regard. I think a related question is, you talked about the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement being a gold standard for trade agreements in this area, and it really is. And as all these negotiations in different ways and different combinations happen, what can be uh, successful strategies to try to get other agreements to be equally high? So, because there are a number of agreements that are, are called digital agreements that just really are, are far from what you see in that one. And then I think this is an area for opportunity. There is, of course, kind of renewed interest in environmental issues in the context of trade, in labor issues in the context of trade. And the digital economy has so many abilities to address those types of issues and others. And so to think of ways to bring in that positive value of the services and perhaps enter into joint cooperation, joint agreements, et cetera, I believe is a, an important theme for this period. So, Tim, you were referring to the interests of uh, U.S. businesses and so on. So looking for ways to get involved, what should they be thinking about? Sure. And just to underscore your point, Jackie, this is not just for the Amazons and Facebooks and Googles of the world. Really, companies and industries in all sectors should be looking at these issues and deciding what digital trade means for them. So we have manufacturing clients, we have service clients across all sectors that are looking closely at these issues. And they're discovering that the rules of digital trade matter to them. So now is really a prime time to identify digital trade priorities to the U.S. government, to the U.S. Trade Representative and the Department of Commerce that will be leading these negotiations. So, and it is important for a variety of reasons. Of course, if the moratorium on e-commerce taxation goes away, or if we see any increase in digital taxation, that is likely to have far-reaching impacts primarily targeted at U.S. companies and industries who would pay the price. So that's extremely important. And then with so many industries relying on the ability to transfer data across borders, there have to be strong protections that allow these data flows to continue. That's why provisions like the provisions from the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement are key. So I spend a lot of time working on eliminating trade barriers. There are so many digital trade barriers. We could probably have an entire additional discussion on this. Data localization is a huge digital trade barrier. Forced technology transfer is a huge digital trade barrier. And China, Russia, India, South Korea, many other countries have these barriers in place. There are overt barriers. There are more subtle barriers. But for U.S. companies and industries that want to be more global, that want to engage in, in additional digital trade, 
these barriers are key issues to try and address. So those are some of the things that we're looking at for our clients, and we encourage them to get involved now to let the U.S. government know what needs to happen and how the negotiations can benefit them. So with that, Jackie, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I think your suggestions are outstanding. This is really a dynamic period. It's very complex. Some would say the barriers are getting worse, and they may be, but I think the opportunities are greater than they might have been before. I really think this idea of having different ways that countries can join in trying to achieve the same outcomes, it's very promising. Absolutely. And I agree entirely. Digital trade and trade barriers, these are critically important for companies and industries of all kinds. And the rules are really just starting to be made right now. So another thing I would urge is that companies think about this on their own terms. We see a number of trade associations involved, and they provide important leadership, but individual companies might have their own issues. So it's important that they view these not just from an industry perspective, but from their own individual perspectives as well. So with that, thanks for joining us on this podcast. We look forward to your feedback and hopefully to talking again in the future. Thanks and have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to the Wiley Connected Podcast brought to you by the attorneys at Wiley. If you enjoyed this episode of Wiley Connected, we encourage you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For additional resources and materials, head over to WileyConnect.com. Thank you for listening.